Welcome to the brand new Unstoppable Podcast with your host, Johnny Pierce. In this podcast, we're going to cover all you need to develop unstoppable confidence, build an unbreakable mindset, and we're going to make sure that everything that you listen to is unforgettable. We'll dissect the lessons from the people that you want to hear from, and you have access to this completely free of charge. If you like it, don't forget to share it with your friends, and I'll see you on the inside. We are back with another episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. I'm here with the legend that is Paddy Raff. So we're looking forward to this one. We're really excited. Paddy, for those of you who don't know, is one of Northern Ireland's top comedians and he sold out shows in the Odyssey that I've been at. And he's also had his own TV show on the BBC, which is incredibly exciting. So really looking forward to getting an insight and hopefully have a laugh with Paddy. So yeah, thanks for being here, mate. No problem. I thought you were going to actually ask me to do some bench presses or something. I was like, (laughs) What kind of podcast is this? I wasn't prepared for any uh, physical activity here. I heard I heard that you had a jambon on the way down here, <laughs> sort of fitting for the health of the podcast. Like, yeah. no jambon. Do you say jambon with a hard J or a soft J? Are you a jambon or a jambon? <laughs> is where we find out how I, Nigel you are. I'm, I'm definitely a jambon, although I did offer. I didn't know whether Patty or Nigel was coming, so we had some sparkling water on tap for him. Sparkling but water. Love it, love it. Yeah, the, no, the jambon incident. I, I was genuinely going to myself, so I, I, like I was saying to you, I, I like an old jambon um, of, of an afternoon and I was eating it and my wife always goes, just let it, let it sit, don't yeah. go fight the flakes, let the yeah. flakes sit and then just, you know, sort of brush yourself off. And then I was thinking, I wonder will Johnny be there to like greet me? Will he be doing some like behind the scenes sort of shots? And sure enough, there you were standing outside the house waiting on me and I had to get out covered in flakes Brilliant. and had to, am I allowed to curse? I yeah, go for it, mate. Do, do your thing. I'll, we'll, I'll save it. I'll yeah. save it. I left bomb, but yeah, but, but yeah. Uh, so I had to kind of brush yeah. myself off. We, we always want the the real person on the podcast. I think that's the, the goal of this podcast is to show people authentically as they are and, and give them the opportunity to talk about what they do. And like these are really interesting people, people that have done incredibly well. And that's why this podcast excites me is because we're able to bring people like Patty who are from this country, hugely successful, doing amazing things, and. I get to share the lessons with you guys. So I suppose I've given you a little bit of an introduction. I suppose if you were to introduce yourself as you are, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm a stand-up comedian and comedy writer, I suppose. And it's always weird. That, that I find it weird to that, that label yourself like that because to me, to me like I, I used to be in a wedding band and used to be a cur from a sister at special needs and stuff. And so when people used to ask me, you know, you know, what do you do or how, do you, how would you describe yourself? That was it. And I, I don't know when it changed. You, you know, it wasn't the first night I put my foot on stage to do stand-up. They go, oh, now I'm a stand-up comedian. Yeah. It kind of happened quite quickly, but still gradually to me to the point where I kind of have to stop myself and go, oh, yeah, I have to tell everybody, oh, I'm a comedian now. Yeah. And it's a bit, it's a bit icky. Uh, do you know what I mean? Gives you the like being, being from here, Just being from here. <laughs> Luckily, no, or we wouldn't be together. But um, it's kind of like being from here, we don't really like people that kind of put themselves out there yeah. and say, I am this or I am yeah, that. Yeah. And I, I, I remember when I went, I suppose, professional and stopped and had to quit my other jobs. Um, and by the way, when I say quit the other jobs, it's not like I just turned around to my sister and said, by the way, I'm not current for you anymore. Yeah. And just left her on her own. You know, yeah. Other family kind of stepped in and took over my hours and whatever. But yeah, I remember I had to do it because it was like, I am I'm being a comedian here. And I've, yeah. I've like sold out the Ulster Hall for a few nights and it was coming up. And I was like, I felt like I was stealing a living a bit by still working and not putting everything into the, the, the comedy yes. when people are paying to come and see yeah. you. So it's kind of out of respect for the audience that were coming to see me that I went, no, I'm going to go full time yeah. at it. So yeah, now I have to go, well, I'm a comedian, you know. <laughs> and then people always ask, oh, I've tell never, us I've never heard of you, tell us a joke. <laughs> and I, 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 I've tried to prep one in case somebody does this to me because it happens so much. Like taxi drivers are the worst, tell us yeah. a joke uh, and they'll tell you a joke, all right. Oh, yeah. More than enough. Like you probably wouldn't be able to use this one on stage, but here we go. And you're <laughs> no way. And writing off 99% of the jokes you could never use on oh, stage. Yeah. It's Big like time. even in the 70s, people would have been getting cancelled for them. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. I think, you know, 
people would see someone like Patty and be like, oh, well, sure, you only do your, your gigs on stage, so you've got loads of free time. But in actual fact, there's so much preparation that goes into something like this. There's so much time that's spent like writing comedy. I never even thought about that before you actually said it. Sometimes yeah, yeah. you're probably sitting for days writing an actual sketch, I yeah, suppose. Yeah. Well, luckily for me, the, the sketch ideas kind of tend to come from reality anyway. Yes. So the job's kind of half done for you. Something funny happens and you go, oh, I must write that down. Yeah. And I like have a note on my phone that it goes on for ages. It's not yeah. just scrolling through. But it's all these wee sort of incidents that happen and they, they kind of spark off an idea. So, And I'm kind of impatient. As soon as I get that idea, I, I need to kind of do it and want to do it and get it out there yeah. rather than take too long. But when it comes to like TV stuff, um, like writing a TV show and whatever, yeah, that kind of writing side of it, is it takes a long time you know yeah. and there's some days where just things aren't happening you just don't feel funny and then there's other days where you get loads written down but yeah. the tv show for example it's like it was four was it four episodes yeah four four five episodes uh five half hour episodes and it took six months of uh, my life and that was the yeah. only thing i could do um because the, the two two series that we did of it were done during the pandemic so luckily there was not there was no touring or anything to take me away yeah. from it but it was literally three months of writing and intensive writing because you're always getting notes back from BBC and stuff. Two months of shooting and then one month sort of editing, post-production and promo yeah. and things like that. So it was six months in the end and, and it was a proper, so yeah, the, the writing side of it, certainly for TV and whatever, um, and even for stand-up, that's how I kind of write my stand-up sets. I give myself like a month to write a, an hour-long show yes. and um, kind of just then start trialling it a wee bit in the clubs or whatever. So the, the, the writing side of it has become um, a lot bigger um, over the years so yeah that's one of the things that's why you kind of say oh, I'm a comedy stand-up comedian and comedy writer yeah. because you know the two kind of go hand in hand yeah 100% and I think if we were to pick the lessons out of that I think there's a direct correlation with your energy and your ability to think of an idea so you said there are some days like you'll you'll actually not be able to think of anything and sometimes your best ideas will come whenever you're not actually trying to force 100%, it 100% that's and I can't remember who it was said that but you kind of watch certain things you know, on YouTube and listen to different people's interviews and I can't remember who it was said it but they were like a really important part of writing is don't always think you have to sit with a pen in your hand do it. Yeah. switch off stop writing go and do things and you'll yeah. find that, that ideas come to you Big and time. I did there's been times where I've done that where I just you know put the you know put the laptop away take it take a day off or take a couple of days off go and do things with the kids and you know my wife or whatever and then things start to pop up and yeah. all of a sudden it mightn't even relate to the things you're writing and sometimes it does and you go, now nah, I know where I'm going yeah, with that or I've got something different to write. So there is important your mind and the way that you sort of give yourself a break and whatever is yeah. very important. 100%, you need space. And obviously I was at the gig in the Odyssey which was, I think it was October 2021. Yeah, yep. And um, Nigel was there in, in full flight. So yep. I suppose people would be keen to think about or understand how you came up with the Nigel thing or... Yeah, yeah. So Nigel would have been the first character that I did. That was kind of what most people knew me for. Um, so I, I started doing stand-up in 2018, and at the same time started my own like Facebook page yes. and socials to kind of put my sketches out and whatever, and kind of draw a bit of attention to what I was doing, um, and try and build up a following. And the first, I used to use like the Snapchat filters, you know, yes, like, um, remember, yeah. and, and that's where Nigel kind of came from, was that I was using different Snapchat filters, just making, you know, silly videos, and they were going kind of viral, even yeah. at the very start, which uh -huh. was great. And then the Nigel one came, and I remember, I could almost give you the date, it was, I'm pretty sure it was June, May or June um, 2018, and this filter came out, and it was one of the new ones, and it had the moustache and the glasses yeah, and, yeah. and the hair, and I had that on, and instantly when I put it on, I was just like, this this to me seems like a real posh character, yeah, you know, yeah. just the, the, the voice kind of came out straight away. And it was during the hosepipe ban, um, yeah. so it was like really good weather, and and I was like, I can imagine this guy touting on his neighbour yeah, for yeah. using the, the and so I did. That was what the video was, and it was again an example of I didn't sit down with a pen and write it out and take ages. I literally did a couple of versions where I kind of just you know uh, you know ad libbed it and, yeah. and and then put it up. And it that one kind of went viral. A few days later, I did another one with the same filter, and then. People started saying that was when it was kind of organic. You got to do more with that posh yeah, guy. Yeah. And what's what's his name? And it was my wife was like, you know, yeah, you have to give these characters names. It's like, oh, and I think she suggested Nigel. I was like, yeah, yeah he looks like a Nigel. So that it was quite organic. But the funny thing was that about I don't know about four months later, so this character was starting to gather pace. People were loving it, and you know, dropping all the BT nineisms and all that. And it was my mate, Mark, do you know who that plays on stage yes, with the guy? Yeah, Jarleth. So yeah. he plays Jarleth on stage, but it's my, one of my best mates, Mark. 
and he is really posh, you know, and, right. and, and so, but he, he isn't really, he wasn't really on social media then. And I went for a few drinks at his house and we were sitting there and he just sat forward at one point and I'd never seen him get serious in his life with me. And he was like, and I was like, this is serious. He like took his glasses off. He's like, Paddy, um, are you, are you doing an impression of me online? And I was like, what? I just did, but I was like, no. And he was like, it's just somebody sent me a video and it was like, you, you know, you, but you like a mustache. And I went, oh shit. And I was like, fuck. And then I, that's when I remembered, I went, yeah, I kind of, I obviously the, my, my idea of a yes. posh person is, is yeah. you. And he was laughing, like, you know, it wasn't serious, uh, that serious, but he, it, it caught me off guard. I was like, am I? And then I was like, oh my God, yeah, that, that's who Nigel is. So, and it's funny then, once we started doing stuff on stage where he would do the, the piano stuff and then after the gig, sometimes, you know, we go out and get pictures with people uh, and whatever. And a few times he's been there, you know, sort of propping up the bar. He'd be straight over, loves his drink, yeah. having a drink. And then a couple of people would get chatting to him. And there was a girl turned around one of the first times we did the limelight and the girl was like, oh my God, you really sound like, like Nigel. You really, you sound so like him. And he was like, yeah, it's because it's based on me, love. You know, yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, so and the amount of times people go, are you really like this off stage? Oh my God, he's actually posh. Oh my God, yeah. you're so posh. And he's just like, you know, he's become a meme almost now, but yeah. he, he kind of likes it as well. He secretly loves it. Uh, like, 100%, 100%. And because I was going to ask after, like how you actually embody that character. And obviously you spent a lot of time with him, your, your friend, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is there anything that you kind of need to do to kind of click into that? You obviously clicked into it there no, quite quickly. No, I, I, I kind of, I, I think the thing is that, that luckily for Mark, and he knows this, it's like Nigel, is, it just sounds like him and has some of the mannerisms, yes. but the character of Nigel isn't Mark. Mark is so well educated and well yes. read, very, very smart. Nigel is a mixture of the two of us. Nigel is, is Mark's mannerisms and whatever, but I've kind of found what Nigel is, is Nigel would be me if I had to be posh. Because mm -hmm. I'm not posh, and people kind of because I became known for the Nigel character thought I'm I'm posh. Yes. Even people, from, I'm from West Belfast, and I go into shops in West Belfast. I'm like, oh, there he is. Oh, he's come over from BT9. I'm like, I'm from here. <laughs> I'm from BT11. Stop that. And so that that's what it is. Is that because I'm not posh and I'm not that well read and well educated? If I had to go into these posh scenarios and be. I would come off looking stupid, you know, yeah. if you if you try and be something that you're not. Yeah, and if you look at Nigel, that's kind of what's happening with Nigel, is that he is, he is posh and he was born into it and whatever else, but he's not intellectual the way his mates are. Yeah. He's not, you know, successful the way is, is the people in the, his sort of postcode are, but he loves the trappings of it. So he'll, you know, really play into it and lean yeah. into the, you know, the BT9-isms and the social kind of, th is what's important to him. Yes. And that's kind of what I would say. Is if, I, if I was in that, like dropped into that world and had to be posh, that's the way I would act and I wouldn't be able to carry yeah. it off, you know. So Nigel isn't as smart or as successful as he as he likes to think he is, even though he's got all the money, you know, yeah. and he's a wee bit sort of on the back foot about it. So that's kind of the, where the character comes at, those two conflicting things uh, in him, you know. Because I remember at the Odyssey you were talking, I think it was at the Odyssey you were talking about the two up, two down thing. And, <laughs> and I, I uh, Nigel, what was it again? Nigel comes from, uh, well, then Nigel describes, I come from very humble beginnings by BT9 standard, sort of two up, two down kind of upbringing in that we had two properties up the coast and two in County Down. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be able to laugh, like, oh, that's, and then I met people that are like, you know, oh, that's so true, you know, I do actually have two properties. Yeah. I'm like, oh, brilliant, you know. Uh, it's fantastic. And I'm going to put you on the spot here. I know you can do a good impression of Nigel. Do you reckon you could do an impression of me in the next 30 seconds? Right. Um, I don't have the body for it, first of all, so I really <laughs> have to suck in. I think listening to your voice, it's kind of like coming from sort of a bit back here. Right. So I don't know, this might insult you now, but yeah. it's like, so yeah, so I was doing Nathan Carter just before. Yeah, do your Nathan Carter. Yeah, Nathan, Nathan Carter impression. I wasn't doing Nathan Carter, I was doing a Nathan <laughs> Carter impression. And yeah, so he called me to, to get Nigel. We were in BBC at the same time, he saw me on Instagram. He was like, Patty, you got to bring Nigel down. We all love Nigel. And I didn't realise Nathan Carter was, of course, that was a Scouse accent, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so Nigel, I was in the Nigel stuff, and I says to Nathan on, on camera, I think I'll have the clip of it still. He's like, Nathan, you've got the face of an angel with the voice of an, uh, 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 the accent of an angle grinder, you know, because of his, his, his Liverpool thing. But with you, with Johnny, it's just sort of like, comes very, very much from back of the throat. Like, we're just really chill podcast, party. I'm going to run through all these questions. It's just like, you know, um, do you want sparkling water? Because I've got it on tap and, you know, <laughs> I don't know if it was probably That was crap, quite good. That was good. Give me a bit more time. Like, you yeah, know, you can, you can master it we'll over overdub time. overdub it whenever I've had time to properly listen and you can, you know, sort of like lip sync it. Yeah, no, we'll 100%. Make it that sounds good. We'll make a video of it soon. Um, so I suppose, 
how do you get to the point where you kind of think that you're going to make people laugh as a career? Like, would you have been funny at school or how did it all come about? Yeah, and uh, that's one of those things you get asked a lot and you, f you hear a lot of comedians saying, oh, I was the, you know, were you the class clown? I was a class clown. And I was, it was that sort of typical thing. But for me, it was because, like, I, so I, I, I became a trainer in call centres after I left school. Yeah. It was one of the first jobs working in a call centre and I loved doing that. And one of the things we learned was about people's learning styles, how your, your, your brain works, whether you're, you know, visual, oral, read, write, kinesthetic type of yeah. learner. And I, I was like, I, I was doing the, the quiz myself then and finding out, I was like, oh my God, I'm a, I'm a kinesthetic, I'm a visual learner. As opposed, and then I was like, that's why I was so shit in school because I, it was just so, uh, you know, it was just reading passages of text. And, you know, there were some teachers that would get you up on your feet, and, your, and those were the things that I remembered. So yes. I just remembered that, you know, going through school, I wasn't, you know, very academic at all. And for me, the only, the only thing I excelled at in school was taking the piss out yeah. of the teachers and mates and joking <laughs> about doing impressions of teachers and all. Um, and like I could draw and so I would like draw like cartoon caricatures of certain people and whatever and that became the my only sort of thing that I could do in school that was of any worth because yeah. it wasn't like oh he's, he's the best at X, Y or Z you know academically um, so that was my role so yeah I used to just mess about in school and some of the pranks I pull to this day I meet people who were in the same school as me at the time like were you the one that did such and such and I'm like uh, oh, yep that was me that, like, I'll give you an example um, there was a day that it was like the last day of school and the last full day of school and everybody was calling it because of uh, Neighbours was big back, yes. back in the day. It was called Muck Up Day. In Neighbours they called it Muck Up Day. Yeah. So everybody started saying, oh, it's Muck Up Day is coming around. And they were like, oh, Paddy's going to... And I kind of felt like I had to lean into it because yes. everybody thought, Paddy's going to be, he'll have something planned. So I felt like oh, I better plan something. So I went to one of the caretakers and asked the caretaker because they were all sort of Westies and this, this yeah. school was a bit South Belfast uh, and he, this fella knew my dad. I was like, here, you know that chalk dispenser thing that you draw the, the, the uh, track markings yeah. out on the on the gravel pitch? And he's like, I was like, where do you keep that? And he was like, uh, you know, I can't, can't give you an exact location, but if you were to look at the old stables, you know, and I was like, it, it's kept in the stables, happy yeah. days. Like, it, it's unlocked between 11 and 12. You know? <laughs> so that day I went in and there it was, just sitting chalk, full of chalk. Your man had loaded it for me and everything. Yeah, yeah, he knew, yeah. he was like, give him, the, give him the tools. So uh, I went out on the last day and I was just running out with it. And the, the school I was in, like there was a convent at the front of it that was kind of half used. There were some nuns in it, there weren't or whatever. Yeah. And I got to the front of it and I was like, what do you do, what do you do? And my mate, also called Paddy, was keeping dick, you know, like I keep dick. And he was like, here, here. And he shouted, one of the teachers had spotted us and was coming down the stairs. So I had about, about a minute before this teacher got to me. And like, I was, what, 17? What does a 17 year old fella draw? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I drew the, the, the largest penis I could, like anatomically, you know, to scale. <laughs> Started with the testicle up to the top, you know, right round the bottom, and then did a wee sort of line, dee -dee, you know, line at the top, and then stood back and realised what it done, and it was pointed right at the door of the convent, <laughs> and the line led up to the door, and instantly, no matter how many times I did these pranks and stuff in school, as soon as you'd done it, then you just go, why the fuck did I do that? Yeah. I am going to get Instant regret. And, I, and, I just, and so we just dumped the, the chalk dispenser and ran, uh -huh. And then there was a whole big thing where they tried to rub it out and it got bigger because they couldn't get rid of it and they needed to get water out. And it, it lasted for days and days. And then, um, so literally like everybody in the school went mad about this. This was hilarious. Everybody knew about it. And like even about 15 years later, I was up in Donegal um, at a nightclub and this girl came up and she's like, um, sorry, you, is your name Patty by any chance? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, did you draw the convent cock? And I was like, yeah. It is him, it is him. And I was like, what have, what have I done? My yeah. legacy is this friggin', you know, chalk drawing or whatever. So yeah, that was uh, that was the kind right. of stuff I, I got up so to. So it was always it was always comedy. It was had, always had to be comedy like, after that. And you probably enjoyed the feeling, especially as a child, I think like a lot of what we end up doing comes back to childhood and like probably yeah. the feeling that gave you whenever you made someone laugh and it sort of brought us, maybe I should do that again, yeah, you know? And yeah, you're yeah. probably seeing that in your kids, you know, when they do something good and you say, well yeah. done, they want to do it again that you know? validation whatever i'm sure a therapist would have a field day with me <laughs> but it was yeah growing up in a, in a sort of a big family and you know everybody was kind of funny in our family so you had to really stand out if yes. you want to be that and i do remember being a kid if any time there was like a family gathering if you could say something you know if you walked into the room and somebody did something and you said something really quick and you got a laugh from that audience god you felt like you were 10 feet tall yeah. and, you know so you were always kind of chasing that but i also remember as well it gave you that sort of um 
knowledge of when to, to sort of stop you've gone over you know your yeah, dad would look at you say something you think you've been funny and like your dad look at just be like you get that hit your head shake and you go oh that's uh, like the worst heckle ever which is like don't be doing yeah, that yeah. <laughs> and obviously like you didn't actually come from a two up two down background how was childhood how was growing up in belfast at that time like what was that like yeah so we were we like i lived in the mid terrace three bedroom house there was five kids my ma and dad, so it was like rammed really, but to me, it didn't feel like a crammed house, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, you know, growing up in West Belfast, it was just, you know, that was life for me, and it wasn't until I, you know, sort of went in, went into work, I suppose, was the first time that I started socializing then with people from different religions, and like Mark, yes. who's my best mate, it was only after about sort of six months of us working together and going out and partying and drinking yeah. that, it, uh, I ended up chatting to him and it was like, actually, what religion are you? And he was like, well, I'm Protestant. I was like, that never even occurred to no. me. Um, so yeah, it was it was a weird kind of, um, it, was a, it, was a, it was a very, we, we didn't have, like my, my dad worked in a, a factory, my mum was a nurse. So, um, you know, and we were, there was, wasn't much money at all. And again, it's only that thing of whenever you get to a certain age and you start looking back on it and what you took as being normal, you realize, Jesus, there was other yeah, people out there, you know, even people I went to school with and stuff who you know would have went on a at least one foreign holiday every year and maybe went skiing or whatever and I, we never did i didn't go on any we would just lucky we'd be lucky if we got away to donegal for, yes. for two weeks in a caravan so and i think that that's why i think people from from here are so you know sort of unique is we don't grow up with a chip on our shoulder because we came, came from those yes. backgrounds we, we sort of just get, got on with it uh -huh. and um, and then if anything the chip on your shoulder comes out as comedy you, 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 you make jokes about it and you, you have the crack with it yeah. and I think that's a really positive thing as opposed to you know sort of um, dealing with it in any other way but it wasn't until yeah like I said I got out of school and started working um, that I realized that yeah we were quite sheltered you know yeah. not not being able to socialize I think that's one of the reasons why I, I would support like integrated education and yeah. stuff like that is because so other people just look at you like you've two heads and like you never socialized with people or yeah. met really met people uh, from the other religion yeah but you know until you're you know finished uh, school and were in work or went to university or whatever and for a lot of people here that's the yeah, has been the experience and I don't think that's that's he too healthy I yeah. think that would need to change and so for me it was it was definitely a weird thing where I was like and then I sort of realized is that all these mates that I had I was like you know you're a Protestant you're a Protestant it was like yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. you know it was like it was never thought about mass and then yeah and even like me it was only whenever I started doing stand-up as well that I started telling the story of how my granny was Protestant, and I did. I didn't. Even, I took that for granted. I just thought yeah. that was normal uh, uh, because we should converted to be a Catholic, but she'd met my granda yes. when she was in her early twenties, and she'd been she'd lived in the Shankle, and that uh, was where her family were from. And then you know that was kind of normal to 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 me. And then other people then when I would tell that, they'd be like, "Oh, that's that's a mad. You should tell that story, you know, on stage." Yeah. And, and now I've told it, and there's different bits to it and all. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just one of those things. Growing up in West Belfast. You just, everybody was Catholic around you yeah. and then going to work and then you realize you're like, geez, why, why are we separated? We're so much more, we're so much more in common yeah. than, 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 than separates us, you know? Um, so yeah, it was, it was an interesting kind of upbringing, but it's great to think like for, for my kids and stuff, um, and they're sort of, there are groups of friends and whatever, you can see it change and it's way more diverse racially, yeah. religious wise and all as well. So it's great. Like my, my kids coming home and being like, um, Daddy, Muhammad doesn't eat um, the same dinners as us because um, he's Islamic. And you're like, no, he's not. <laughs> How do you unpack this here? And it's just great the way they come in. They just take it for, you know. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. No, 100%. That's class. And, and on your kids, I was obviously in the Odyssey. Somehow me and Lauren wangled tickets in the front row. Like we, we were there and... And off the back of that, Lauren was really excited because she got the touch knives and high There's pictures of that. Did you, did Is you there see pictures? The, yeah. So I, I was going back through the pictures a wee while ago, and yeah. that's when I saw it. And I'm, I must send you them all. So there was a proper, you know, sort of uh, professional photographer oh, as Nigel was doing the entrance and going wrong, going around high five in the front row. Yeah. And there's definitely one of Laura, and you're sitting beside yeah. her, and Nigel is maybe being. Maybe he's trying to move in. Yeah, he know, maybe is. I think Nigel was Mr. Steal Your Girl that night and, <laughs> and Lauren went home and didn't wash her hand for a week because she had, she had touched <laughs> Nigel, you know. Um, but all joking aside, I think the Odyssey was, was a sold out arena that night. You've, you've sold out numerous times, I suppose. How does it feel that that many people are willing to come out, pay their hard-earned money to, to buy a ticket to your show? That's brilliant, yeah. yeah it's Again, it happens so gradually, or to me it feels like it happens gradually that you don't 
you, you kind of have to then pinch yourself and I kind of don't let myself enjoy it as much as maybe I could because it's not in my nature to be you know sort of gloating and boastful about it even to myself but there's a couple of moments like walking out on stage at the SSA where you go this is this is, just enjoy it it's surreal and I know it's brilliant like to be to have people from here accept and you know go go and pay like you say yeah. like I, I've been to so many gigs in the SSA and it was actually Bill Bailey was there in would it have been 20, 20, early 2019? Um, so I'd only been doing stand-up less than a year and I remember going in and I was looking about and I just went, so I was like, I could do this. And I said to my yeah. cousin and I, he, was, he was the one who bought us the tickets and I was like, I reckon I could do this. And he was like, fucking see you, you're, you're sicking me and all. And I was like, nah. And then I remember when, when we did the gig, the first one was in uh, March 2020, just before the pandemic. And it was backstage and I was like, didn't I tell you? Didn't I fucking tell you? So <laughs> I let myself have that one. No, but it's lovely and the, the atmosphere is so warm and people are so supportive. And yeah, it's like, um, it's certainly, it's a special moment to, in your own city to go out on stage for one of, what was it, five nights or whatever I was doing there. Yeah. And, and just to have it full of people that are up for the crack. Really lovely vibe and lovely atmosphere. It's, it's great. Yeah, it's a huge achievement and, and the vibe was great that night. And, and you just, you just, well, I've... I, that was actually my first ever comedy gig, you know, that I'd ever been to because me and Lauren kind of came across your stuff, really liked it, but would never find someone that we really liked. But then that's when we went to that. And it was a different sort of vibe. Like I've been to music concerts, I've been to all that. And you kind of walk away with a different feeling, but you kind of just walk away. And it sounds cliche, but you walk away with a smile on your face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a nice thing to be able to do to make people laugh, make yeah, people yeah. smile. They've maybe had a tough week. Yeah. and they come in and they maybe just watch some of your videos and it makes them laugh. And I suppose with that, what is what is driving you right now? Like, what, why do you push on? Why do you do what you do? That That's, yeah, that's a good point. And I think that's, you know, without being too schmaltzy about it, when you think about why do you do what you do and what, you know, is it just for validation? Is it just because you want the likes and the shares and, you know, if, if you get as big as, you know, you can, is it the money? And it's not that. It's been because I've always done it and I've always, there was never any, I never thought I would do stand-up even until just before I decided I was going to try. It was never something I'd always thought about doing. Um, it's just circumstances kind of came and changed that way. I used to play a lot of football and I wrecked my knee and I found that I had time during the week that I would have been spending out playing football where it was like, you know, what am I going to do? And I've always been creative and that's when I decided, you know what, I, I think I maybe have a crack at comedy. Um, and I think it does come down to just making people feel good. There's something primal if that's the right word you know yeah. about seeing somebody laughing and if you were able to cause that and you go i made that person smile yeah. and so i don't tend to overthink it but it was during the pandemic that i started getting messages from people um so when lockdown kind of came i kind of went into sort of overdrive making almost like a video a day um because there was very little else to do and um they were going really viral and yeah. going bigger and bigger and going like sort of worldwide viral you know not yeah, that saying it was the, the biggest thing on the internet at the no, time no, but the, the videos were reaching people from and that's the funny thing was is that like scrolling down the likes it used to just be white 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 and then that's literally visually how i could tell it was going further because it'd be like white white, white brown brown black black white 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 brown. and i was like oh my god there's and then you start getting into the accounts like these these are real people like from trinidad and tobago like would yeah. send me and that's how i started getting messages was i would get messages from somebody who'd be like you've no idea how much your videos mean to me and my family and they're like they're sending it from canada or from spain or from argentina now i'm not saying like i say it's not like this was i was being inundated with these no. but every day there was a, a few messages from people whether it was comments or, or direct messages and again there were from some of them from around the world and it was lovely just to, to connect with and to be able to feel like oh, i made them them laugh and i think that you know through the pandemic because it was such a dark time um, especially the very start, um, that kind of was, it showed me that what I was doing was making yeah, was making a difference to people. And I still get people to this day coming to gigs that say to, to, to me, you know, your videos got us through the pandemic. Yeah. Every day we went on and there'd be a new video from you. And we used to sit, and there's people like, we used to sit, I used to get people send me pictures where they would be sitting on a, you know, Friday night or whatever. Um, and they'd have the TV on and they'd have my videos. Like we sit down every week and watch uh -huh. all your videos back to back. And I'm like, oh my God, like better start making them better because people are actually yeah. taking them, you know, sort of watching them on their, on, you know, on their TV. So, and that's what kind of spurred the TV show, the sketch show was that I was able to go to BBC and say, look, you know, here's what I've been doing online. And after the first month, I put together a compilation of them and I kind of edited it. I took some out that I didn't. And, and it was 35 minutes on yeah. YouTube. And I said to them, look, I've, 
been able to make that and here's messages from people or whatever and they were like right we'll give you a shot so we got the um pilot episode and then that went down really well and we got two series in the end out uh, of it and won a few right. awards and also it's it was kind of very organic you're kind of just following as opposed to going i'm gonna make all these sketches with a view to getting a tv show it just kind of took on its own life and it was nice so yeah it is it's that sort of feeling of being able to go you know, I made somebody laugh and they send you a wee message. But hearing it instantly as well just gives, like you say, walking away with a smile on your face. I, I've been to see, went to see Peter Kay recently and all, and I've always loved him. And you just walk out and that feeling of going, oh, my cheeks are sore yeah. from laughing so much. And that's the best compliment you can give a, a comedian is when somebody messages and said, my cheeks were so sore. Even better if it's the ones in their face, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose, like... Paddy's talked a lot about the positives of social media, the opportunity that social media can create. And I think social media can be a great place, but it can be also a not so great place. And I know personally, I get a lot of hate on social media from people just decide to take it disliking to you and they'll they'll kind of give you a lot of hate for no real reason. And we all know that that says more about the other person than what it does And I have apologised for that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I have apologised off camera. Paddy's, Paddy's creating <laughs> fake accounts on Instagram and he's, he's giving, me, giving me hate on, <laughs> on socials. But I suppose on that, like, would you get much hate on social media? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I think every comedian gets it. And the, the, the way I've kind of, like, been able... Because, like, as a comedian, you're always looking at things and you, you look at life with a slightly different take and lens on it you know because you're always trying to find the funny funny in it and for me the funniest thing is that when people from here there's certain you know news outlets put out a wee story and they're just trying to fill you know that fill the the column inches or whatever mm. they're doing online and it's a, if it relates to you and it's like comedian question mark and you go here we go you're like you know i do i literally do it professionally you know and that's yeah. literally so so i think technically you have to agree but like and it's all those kind of snidey comments and it's like it doesn't matter that it's me it could literally be and i was i actually had a bit written and i never got performing it because it was during the pandemic and i was writing it about like and i was saying hypothetically the biggest comedian in the world could say that they're coming to belfast and you'll get somebody going who wouldn't, 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 <laughs> I've watched his videos, wouldn't make me, had to make me laugh, laugh once, load of shite, you know, all this here, and they get, and then it happened when Kevin Hart started performing here, yeah. and it was like, Sir Kevin, and they were like, who? Never heard of him, load of shite, you know, watched his special, thought he was crap, you know, such and such is way better and all, and it's like, and so all of a sudden, this hypothetical situation where I said, the biggest comedian in the world could come here, and it happened, and he was getting slaughtered, you're just like, now obviously there's people saying nice things and whatever yeah. else, and it's like, it's that thing of, I don't take it to heart because, do you remember like growing up before social media, right? What age are you actually, by the way? 26. 26, okay. So you maybe, how long then? You were pretty... Bebo was coming out around when I was maybe a teen. Okay, yeah, Or yeah. do you remember the, was it MSN? MSN Messenger. MSN, that yeah. was the first, that was the, the forerunner of, of uh, yeah. social media. So I used to, my friend Peter's probably listening to this, I used to have to, I wasn't allowed MSN in my house, so I used to go to Peter's house and yes. then we would have been chatting up all the girls <laughs> on, it, on his MSN because we weren't allowed oh to use God. it. Then you I, went into school and you wouldn't even look at the girl you were uh, Yeah, to. that's so true, yeah, yeah, you could do, you could talk away, talk the good game and then yeah. you know, <laughs> the next day you had to face them at school. That's actually how I kind of ended up getting, sort of realising, God, I am actually funny yeah. because I, w I went on MSN one night and the they didn't know who I was because I just set up an email address like yeah. I, I didn't have this is my first ever email address and I got invited into the chat of all the ones out of our school but they still didn't really know who I was and I had them in stitches uh, and I didn't realize that they were in stitches because was loads of lols and stuff and it was the next day that I went in somebody was like was that you on that I was like yeah they're like you're actually really funny I was like it was a girl's head at the me I was like, oh. <laughs> had to hide myself going to the toilet sit with a cushion over my lap but um yeah, the, so the old social, yeah, so the, the kind of the point I was saying about, you know, social media and remembering before growing up is that if you were sitting listening to your ma, talking to your aunties or whatever, a couple of her mates, and they were chatting on the phone or whatever, your mummy might turn around and say, you know, I'm trying to think of a comedian like Billy Conley or something, though everybody loves Billy Conley, but it could be anybody, it could be Jimmy Tarbuck on TV or Des O'Connor. Terry Wogan, and say, oh, I was watching Terry Wogan last night, and my auntie might have turned around, oh, him, I can't stand him, oh, no, he's a smarmy get, no, I don't like, oh, my mum would be like, I really like him, or vice versa, she could say someone like Rod Stewart, mum would be like, oh, I hate Rod Stewart, not that she does, she loves him, like, <laughs> but, you know, oh, I can't stand him, that was where that negativity started and ended, and look, it's it's got social currency, it, it generates a wee bit of crack, a wee bit of chat, and with social media, people have started to do that online and they get a kick out of doing it and i don't blame them for it to be honest they have an opportunity to do it 
in view of the person that is, you know, that they're talking about. So I can't, so if you put something out or there's an article about you or anybody else, somebody will go, I can't stand this fella, don't da 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 mm -hmm. And all of a sudden that conversation's happening and it's just a social thing that we need to get used to, which is, you know, people are having those conversations that your man would have had it in privacy, but they're having it online. And that's why I just go, you know, that's why it's that, in, eh? inconsequential to me because I'm just like, these are just those conversations people have. They don't really hate you that much. And by the best example of that is that since I've been doing what I'm doing, I literally have not had one person in public ever come up and say or do anything and yeah. be negative. And I know by laws of averages, I every single day will see somebody who would potentially might have commented like that or potentially would comment like that or even would just harbour those feelings of can't stand that guy, load of shit, whatever else, but they never say it to your face. Yeah, and, and, that, not, and that's the thing, like they, he'll probably go home to his wife and be like, I think it's like a And that's fine because that to me, I'm like, you know, that's human nature. I, you know, my my mom and whatever else, and I'm, I'm using her as an example just, but those people aren't, aren't you know, terrible people at their core. Everybody has opinions and things that they do and they don't like. And social media has become a place where people express those opinions and sometimes they do it in view of the person. And sometimes they'll go after and make sure they do it in view of the person that they think. And to me, it's just like, look, comedy especially is so subjective. What somebody, one person likes, another person doesn't like. Yeah. And you know, you have it within your own group of friends and you have to kind of remind yourself of that. Is that even growing up, um, you know, you would have disagreements with your mates. He loves such, such a comedian, I can't stand them. And you had those and you just had to realise that, look, these people are just having those conversations in a place where you can see it now. Yeah. You know, so you just remind yourself of that and, you know, just accept that what you're doing is that you're get your you, you wouldn't have a following if yes. what you're doing wasn't good. Of you course. know, the same goes for you, yeah. same goes for anybody else. It, only if, if you had no following and people were still saying that, then you might have to question what you're uh, doing. You go, hold on a second, I'm getting nowhere in this career at all. And people are just, you know, sort of having to go and, you know, sort of deconstructing it all the time. Maybe it's not for me. But I think you kind of have to go, I'm able to do what I do uh, and, and, and bring people into arenas or wherever else. And um, so I don't, I don't let it affect my confidence in what I do or stop me putting something out or whatever, I'll always just keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah, and it's a, it's a great perspective to actually look at it like that and, and understand that these conversations are happening anyway, just because it happens in the comments section under a yep. post. It's definitely happening anyway. Of course. So it's, it's yeah. And you do it yourself. And I think we all kind of make ourselves feel like we're holier than that. I yeah. would never talk like that. I would never, of course you would. Whenever yeah. you've had a few drinks or whenever you're chatting to your wife or whatever and she shows you something or talks about wanting to go and see a certain band or a certain comedian or go to a certain play and you go, oh, I can't stand, what a load of shit. And then you go, that's, but the difference is I maybe wouldn't go and say yeah. it under their, on the, on, online, but people are just having those conversations and you just have to remind yourself of that. Yeah, and I suppose, I think you touched upon it, but on that point, would there ever be a joke that you would make and you'd make a video and you'd think, oh, should I really put this out? Yes, it's, it, I think being on BBC Northern Ireland was, you know, you have to, there's a big responsibility comes with being on TV, you know, in terms of things that you can and can't say. And I think what it kind of does sometimes is that it makes you, re you kind of think about where am I putting this joke out and what audience or certain jokes that I'll do and certain videos I'll make. And I don't put them on certain platforms, you know, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram they have different sensibilities, things that do and don't like, and there's certain times you go, oh, I'll maybe not put that one on Facebook, they wouldn't really get it. Um, but in terms of like the sort of the cancel culture thing that people go on about and, you know, and certain, I wouldn't be the type of person to make those kind of jokes anyway, so I don't really kind of go, oh, I wonder will this get me cancelled, mm. you know, there's not really, I don't really have too much of a um, worry about that way. Um, so I, I think, but I think being on TV, there was a lot more questioning of, oh, you know, I'll say that they can't say. They, I don't think I could have. I could have swore uh, technically because it was it was after, it was after the watershed. But having said that, um, it was like it was you know. In comedy, if if you are writing something and there's a swear word in it, you have to look at it and go: Is the swear word making that? It, it, is it? Yeah. Are you just using the swear word as a wee shock value? Because it's and quite often you look at it and you go it wasn't that funny and I'm using that swear word just to kind of make it a bit funnier yes. um, and a bit more shocking and when you take the swear word out, is it a good enough joke and you go it's not and then you have to I would bin it and I would go it wasn't good enough anyway because it, it relied on the swear word but one of the things I didn't I never really sort of anticipated was with the TV show the amount of people that came up and said we sat 
our whole family sat every Friday and watched your show. Mm. We absolutely love it. And they were sending me pictures of them sitting on the sofa with their kids and all. And then that's when I realised, oh, I feel like I have a bit of a responsibility now yes. to, to not, you know, sort of, without even thinking about it, I was making comedy that was accessible to the whole family. And I went, right, well, I want to keep that up because the, the thing that I hated the most was when I had a show that I liked when I was younger and I would make, you know, my man and dad watch it and we'd all sit down. And if it went in a direction, I'd want to be like, you oh, felt really oh, awkward, oh, where's yeah. the remote? You know, like, I want to turn this over. So that was with the TV show. And I think that TV's different because it's being beamed out uh, BBC, you know, pu publicly funded or whatever, people pay for that. So you kind of have a responsibility. But online, if there's certain things, certain jokes, I go, that's a wee bit. That'll upset some people that I yes. that follow me, but I think it's funny and I put it out. And you do get some people that be like, you know, loved your TV show or whatever. This is a wee bit too far for me or whatever. And I kind of take that on the chin. It doesn't change what I do because I think with social media, it's a more of a choice to go looking for somebody's content, you know. Yeah. So you, it's it's a bit you can kind of shield it. Sometimes people do. They go, I sat and watched this with my six-year-old. Please put in if there's going to be swearing or whatever. So sometimes I would put a disclaimer on the thing, you know, that you put the wee emoji with the thing over. People know, okay, there's probably going to be swearing, yeah. or that, you know. So yeah, TV's different, but m mostly I don't really question, you know, what I write. Having said that, though, my mind works like a comedy calculator. And it's, it's kind of hard at times because sometimes things will happen and I think of a joke in my head, my mind comes up with it and even I go, oh, like Frankie Boyle levels of darkness and I just go, oh, I can't believe I just thought that, you know, <laughs> and there's no way I would ever use it. Even Frankie Boyle kind of stuff, you know, there's some, and you just go, and that's the, the problem with always thinking about comedy is that, you know, you, you, two things happen at once and you go, there's a pun for that and I could not, I'm yes. not and I, I'll even say to my wife, I'll be like, I just, and she's like, don't even say it. Yeah. Whatever the subject matter is, I don't even want to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> it just happens in your head. And I suppose on that point, like family life at home and stuff, you know, what's it like being a dad and trying to differentiate, you know, the, the funny guy to then having like authority and respect from your kids and stuff like that? It's fine. The, the older they get, your kids kind of change so much, you know. So I started doing stand up when my daughter was literally only about maybe eight, eight or nine months. Mm -hmm. So she, has, you know, sort of watching her reactions to what I do and whatever is so funny. Like the first time I remember coming in, I filmed a wee thing in the shed as Nigel and I'd never, she'd never seen me, you know, sort of in, you know, in person as Nigel and I came in and she was so shy and she kind of knew it was me, but kind of didn't. And then she was like, talking to me as if it was like as if it was him and but she would be really well behaved and like be all I made a drawing Nigel, Uncle Nigel and all this here so sometimes then what I would do is I would deliberately pretend to be Nigel I'd be, I'd be like Clara no come on <laughs> and and she would be all Nigel and so and then now they just all bets are off they just know the crack yeah. they know and like even my son he's really interested in, in doing comedy and video and things and being they want to be in all my sketches and he would like say something like um like he's only eight and I would say I would say something you know I had to film this video but I have to do the two parts and he was like are you going to edit it together after because if you if you cut there then you could do the other bit after but you could bring that clip in between it means you don't have to get changed you know you do and I was, so he's working out yeah, shot yeah. selections and also it's so funny watching him and like I do wee videos for certain brands like Harp would be one of them and I went up the stairs to kind of like get changed to do it and I came down and he read the script and there was a there was a couple of lines being said off camera by someone that I was just going to dub in after. Yeah. And Ron was like, who's Brian in this? And I was like, oh, the, he's just the person off camera. He's like, can I read them? And I was like, yeah. And he says, where do you want me to stand for your, for your eyeline and all? He's like, he totally gets oh, yeah. it. So he he really loves sort of that side of things. So um, yeah, no, it's, it's lovely that they know what you do. And I think that's the other reason why I do the kind of comedy I do, which is that, you know, it, it can be a lot of it family accessible. Mm. I just would be, I, I, I would feel cringed if I thought that the kind of things that I was saying and doing for a living made my kids feel cringy or yes. made my kids, you know, was upsetting people. And then people, my daddy said, da, 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 you'll still get that and all, Aye. but, you know, I just, I feel like I have a bit of a responsibility for them. And I think because I started doing stand-up when I already had my two kids, and being a dad was the biggest thing in my life then. I always kind of chose what I was doing. Not necessarily that it's so sanitized. You know, you've been to the shows. Yeah. It's like not all the subjects that you can do in front of them, but at the same time, I just wanted to do stuff that I could stand over and be a proud dad with them and not cringe about, oh, but I've got this alter ego almost that I do online that's, you know, a bit too in your face. So I've kind of always tried to straddle that. Yeah, and even like, 
I suppose you're able to make jokes that like a kid maybe wouldn't understand and then it can still be accessible to everyone. It's yeah, just... yeah, yeah. I mean, it is, it's funny whenever they come to my shows, like they go to the big ones and the SSE and stuff and they love all that. And it's not until like the night before, maybe on the day that I go, oh shit, this yeah. whole section talks about X, Y, or Z and I don't really want it, you know. And I don't go too far into it. So I'll just be like, right, and I just say to my wife, see whenever I start talking about this bit, take them to the toilet or yes. do something with them. It's like, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, so yeah, you kind of do have to have to watch out for that. At yeah, times. no, hundred percent. And I suppose before all the, the success in comedy and, and doing what you do now, did you do anything different before? Yeah, so it was, as I said, I was in a, a wedding band. Did that for twelve years, and sort of for half of that time, I was still working in a call center as a trainer. So I was like, you know, doing. That's why people, you know, would ask, how did it go so quick for you to go from starting stand-up in 2018 to selling out the SSA a year and a half later and it was like I kind of did um, sort of two jobs that fed into comedy, stand-up comedy quite nicely, playing in a wedding band so I was on stage with the guitar mm -hmm. having to be able to sort of you know carry that kind of thing and then as a trainer it's basically like a teacher for you know people yes. in call centres. Um, so I'd done those two things so it's a bit like a boxer but getting really big really quick yeah. because he did jujitsu and yes, you know kickboxing before, yeah, yeah. but now it's a different diff discipline, so but has similar similarities. So those were the two main jobs, and it was a car as well from a sister who special needs, and you know that was like she's about five years younger than me, and growing up she required twenty four hour car. So as a kid, I didn't, we weren't her cars then, you know, but of course we looked after her all the time, but. Um, when I found myself working out of work in the call center and having more time and she would have needed, you know, help from outside and stuff, um, different cars who weren't family. We always preferred to have cars who were from the family. It's just nicer for her. And so that's what I did then as I would sort of part-time car for her, playing the wedding band at the weekend, uh, working the call center as well. And sort of taking all those three things, it's funny, you kind of feed them into comedy and a bit, a bit of stand-up mm -hmm. about my sister's, yeah. uh, you know, conditions and, 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 you know, sort of looking after and the fun. Like, there's funny things happen and people think like, oh, you can't talk about, you can't joke about disability. You can if it comes from a place of, of, of knowledge and respect and yeah. love for that person, people can tell. And there are bits that I can tell when I'm doing it and I make a joke, a wee segue joke while talking about looking after my sister. And people are kind of going, oh, and you hear this laugh where they're stifled. We're like, should we be laughing at this? Can we laugh at it? And they realize then once you go through it, oh, no, we can't, we're all right. It's not like you're just turning around and going, huh, aren't disabled people funny? You know, that's not what, yes. what it's about. It's about just, I looked after her, I look after her, and here's and the thing. You've seen it first hand, it's yeah. personal experience of someone I think really it's, close to you. It's, it's one of those things people can be a wee bit sort of, because of the climate, but, oh, maybe you can't say that. It's like, no, but you, there are, you know, sort of people who have, have a bit of agency to talk about it. Um, and in certain ways, you know, I think there's, you know, there's ways, there's things I could say and joke about and do that, that would, would offend yeah. people, but I, I'm talking about first-hand experiences and my observations of it, you know. Of course, and I suppose, throwing it back to the guy making drones in the playground, what would you say to that guy knowing what you know now? Like, what would you say to the 17, 18-year-old Paddy Raff? What would you tell him? Stop using her gel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm convinced that her gel... My, hair, my teacher used to tell me that. I used to have a hair like, that stood up like this. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I used to wear like, loads of, loads of got-to-be-glued hairspray and, <laughs> and brill cream wet look. Yeah, oh, and, you're yeah. right up. That same exact and, same. And my teacher once told me, you know, Johnny, you're going to lose your hair really young if you keep, if you keep wearing that, but... No, you're, doing, the, you're doing you're doing good like the, it's the turkey all sorted I, oh, I know here i'd have some job in turkey like I don't you should get a full nigel turkey transplant no, i should do yeah, yeah. Get, get everything done no I, I i genuinely believe there's a few fellas in my class who were all the same like we had the curtains the david beckham yes. curtains that oh didn't God. that didn't move you no, know because no. of the wet look gel and a bit yeah. of hairspray on the, on the top of it and all all of us that had that are now completely bald and oh, have really? been from our early 30s and i'm like there's, there's something in that there's a theory yeah. in that i'm going to take brill cream to court <laughs> <laughs> and here tell me a little bit about what success means to you success to me six being happy i just think that um i like work-life balance wise i could i could ply myself into doing stand-up constantly i could take every gig going and it makes you a better comedian you know being out on stage doing every gig you can makes you better and better and better and i know that but at the same time i have a family and a wife and my my, my actual you know my family relatives and all that i enjoy seeing quite a bit and being with and it's like 
for me, it doesn't matter how successful I am. If I'm not happy and I don't have that good work-life work balance, it's, yeah. it's, it's for nothing. So it's not about being driven by money or whatever. Obviously, then the, the other side of it is the more successful you are, the, the more you can you can give your family you know so for me it's about striking that balance and um you know making sure that i'm doing it for the right reasons and that that's why you know i think that success is it has to be it, it is it's just happiness yeah. and, and finding that balance for yourself and you know if it's too weighted one way or the other you're spending too much time with your family but you're broke or you're really successful and making loads of money but you're not spending time with your family it has to be sort of a happy yeah. medium in the it's, middle it's for actually me. having that balance and i suppose that's a mindset lesson for everyone listening. Have you ever been given piece of a piece of mindset advice that really sticks with you still to this day? Um, not necessarily mindset advice. Um, I think just grow, growing up and sort of growing up in West Belfast and seeing you know sort of the the, the problems that people go through and being being grateful that you don't like mental health wise. I've always been quite good. You know, I haven't suffered from depression or whatever. But knowing friends who have been you know, confident enough to speak up about it and explain where, where you know, where they've been. I think it's just been being very grateful for the fact that I'm able to do what I'm doing physically and mentally. Yeah. And I just, I, I never take that for granted. And I just remember working with somebody, actually a very good friend of mine that I worked with. Um, and he was one of the first people I ever remember telling me he he had depression and he'd, he'd actually been in like a facility, you know, yes, for, for course, rehabilitation. Yeah. And I just remember him sort of saying, when he was talking about his mental health, he was like, you don't know how lucky you have it that, that you don't have something like that and cherish that. And I remember it sticking with me because he would have come into work when he was going through depression. And when he started talking about it, it made me realize, because growing up in school and stuff, it was never talked no. about. It was never a big thing, you know, to be open about it. And I just remember he was the first person um, when I was quite young to sort of speak, to tell me about it and be open and honest. And I think that sort of made me realize that and that, that feeds into the success thing is it's like, you know, you got to do the things that make you happy um, within reason, obviously, to, to try and keep that and be grateful for, for having, um, you know, good mental health and stuff. And that's why I would be, I would do a lot of charity stuff anytime there's stuff to do with mental health things yeah. and suicide awareness and whatever, because that to me is something I always feel grateful that I don't suffer from. And at the same time, then I go, I would like less people, yeah, <laughs> fewer people course. to suffer from it. 100%. So, you know, yeah, that that's just my only kind of mindset is keeping. And if ever there's something like in, in stand-up or, or comedy that I'm doing or a certain area I'm working in that's getting me down and it's not making me happy, I, I tend to not do it, you know, and, yeah. and just be like, oh, I'm not, not enjoying that and change it up and have the confidence to just go, I'll make I'll make it work other ways you know yeah and big time and and i think on the mental health thing i think as a man it's much more difficult to actually speak about these things and i think this podcast is an, an opportunity to try and encourage people to actually speak up about things it's all right if you're a girl you'll all go and you'll book afternoon tea in the merchant <laughs> and you'll all sip your tea and, and chat about everything but i think us as guys find it really difficult to to talk about these things so if anyone is listening to this and they find it really difficult feel free to reach out to me anytime and i'll be more than happy to hopefully just have a chat about it and in confidence essentially and I think that's what what us as yeah. as men need so health and fitness related podcast um jambone on the way down <laughs> didn't want to do bench press today um but on the health and fitness stuff is that something you're into is that something you you care about yeah so I my kind of the thing that I do is but it's called body pump you probably know oh, yeah, it, yeah. Her, yeah so I would and because my wife do you wear the wig well, don't you? <laughs> no, I should do. Like, I ended up doing a character, a female character, Carolyn, who tries different jobs, and one of them one was was a, like a PT kind of thing. Yeah. So it was in the room where we do body pump. I was like, this is so bizarre. Because yeah. I was literally, after we did the shoot, and I went home and got changed, I went back, and a few hours later was in doing body pump in the same room. I was like, yeah. this is so weird. But yeah, that's, that's kind of my thing, because I don't, do, I can't do running and I don't understand I will just don't get people who yeah. have that mindset where they can, I, I'm jealous of them they can do it they just go running for hours and hours so cardio things like that can't do pump is a nice kind of media, sort of in between and it's it's like it's usually an hour 45 minute class and you get so much done in that hour yeah. because if I go down and spend an hour on the gym floor going around the different machines and stuff I do way less I don't have that same drive and determination yeah. Literally within within ten minutes of doing pump, you're sweating, and I've already done as much. I'd be tapping out if I was on the floor doing it by myself. Yeah. So I go to pump probably on a good sort of month. I would do it like three times a week, 
the average would be once once a week. Some maybe if I can get two in a week, it'd be good. But it's uh, just trying to fit it in, you know, around it sort of busy schedule um, yeah. but yeah body pump is the only thing I kind of uh, do and I think that's the thing you know I suppose everyone has to look at their life and, and be realistic as to what they can commit to and people come to me all the time and they think that they have to join our programme and, and train six days a week but it's actually far from the case and it's actually meeting the client where they're at or you know Patty's realising that right this is what I can actually do this is the time that I can actually commit and it doesn't need to take over your life it needs to complement it as opposed to yeah I remember one of my, my brother-in-law said something was like this is the inspirational thing um, that he said to me and it was very true and he's always been really disciplined about going to the gym or whatever mm. and keep you see though you find time for this and I was like yeah and he went you'll find you will make time for the things that you want to do and you have to do that for going to the gym because yeah. I was saying I have to get back to the gym is that you, you will make and I was like the amount of times I go, I didn't have time for the gym that week, this week, or won't have time this week, but I made time for snooker. I had to go to snooker. I was like, yeah. And I was raging that he said that. I was like, yeah, you're right. I'm going to have to circle back to the gym. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I kind of got, I went through phases at times of not going and going and then playing a lot of football. And then once I did my, my cruciate in Aye. 2017, that, that was the end of that. So it's just pumped now. And pumped's good because you stay all yeah. in one spot and there's no, so the, 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 the sort of movements and stuff won't pop money yeah. which can happen quite easily no that's good and i'm sure you've you've made incredible connections through through doing what you do who would you your phone sitting over there who's the most famous person on your phone we did this on a podcast recently with with joel m and his was pretty impressive but we weren't allowed to say it on the camera oh, so it was really, really confidential that's mad. um so it was a big deal but tell me who the most famous person in your phone book bar me is apart from you yeah, yeah. apart <laughs> from you probably mickey flanagan oh after, yeah after supporting him there um, I haven't said that, no. I don't have his number. Now, that's a lie, actually. I don't, but, but like, I've sent things to him. You yes, know, so, before I went and did my set. You've got a point of contact. Know, yeah, okay. I can get to him. Yeah. Um, who would be the biggest one? God, no. Mm. See, I don't really do phone numbers. Yes. Do you know the way I think everybody's kind of like that? Instagram or, like... or whatever. Um, but like Nathan Carter, you know, I messaged Nathan. I remember when he messaged me privately the first, like, oh my God, like yeah. the, the Nathan Carter. Um, oh, I'm trying to think who. Probably Jamie Dornan. Like, yeah, uh, that's a big thing. Messaged back and forward a couple of times whenever I was doing like the TV show and whatever. And I, I couldn't believe it was him. It was like, it's one of these fan accounts that, you know, was being run that I'm going to be asked for my sort code and account number in a wee minute. And it's got a message like when the TV show was going out. Absolutely love the TV show, mate, or something like that. I was like, is that's this amazing. the Jamie Dornan? You know, so, um, and it's always like a wee buzz whenever you put a video out. And you get somebody like, you know, Jamie Dornan like an insurer. Yes, of course. And, and you're like, I can't believe that. So I wouldn't say he's like a close personal friend. We're not going for pints like um, in the cathedral quarter at the weekend. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, like I, I could send him an old message. Yeah. It's no, probably it's... his person. It's probably his PR person. Being uh, like, you know, it's the admin assistant. Jamie, Jamie, what do you want me to do? Just, just tell him whatever. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's sending nice. me nudes here. It's like, <laughs> put them in the rest of them. I suppose this is coming to the end of the podcast first of all really appreciate like kind of you being here and thanks for having and me on you're taking the time out of your day to, to do this so no, no problem much appreciated on this end i've wrote these questions down because these are ones that sometimes i think of and they sound like a really good idea to ask and then i forget the actual words so yeah you've got you've got two options right mm -hmm. you've got to perform comedy for six hours straight on stage every single day for the rest of your life or <laughs> you don't do comedy ever again oh <laughs> my god um, Jesus, I would I would choose to do it because I feel like I do it. It'll be heavy, anyway. yeah. No, like you It'll have be to be. Tired. Well, I'd be doing it all in life. You have to be funny and at home in the house and all that. You know, you, you were always competing, so I feel like I would uh, I would need to keep it going. So I would do I would do that. And you're on a desert island. It's a cliche question, but I'd be interested to hear your answer. And you can bring three three things. You don't need real cream anymore. <laughs> so what what three things are you bringing? Um, we both speaker because I, I like my music nice. and I like I like uh, yeah and I need so and I'm gonna need a phone to go into the <laughs> speaker. Oh, I'm already I'm out of everything here. Um, and uh, what else would I have? What else? I'm a guitar. Yeah, very music based or whatever. But I feel like you know I could uh, you know I could play a few tunes and be you know lure in a few sailors yeah. to. To take me to safety, like I wasn't not going to ride them, like I'm not a mermaid, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah, so it's all very music related. Yeah. But music was always a big part of our, my life growing up in the house, and then you know learned to play the guitar when I was in my sort of teens, and uh, ended up playing in a wedding band and all. So it's it's always been a strong theme through. And even in my comedy, I play a lot of guitar in my stand up as well. So I think I would I would take a guitar, bow speaker, and and the phone. Yeah, and Saturday night meal. 
what would be the, the go-to? What would be the choice for something really tasty? Um, probably it'd be a bit Chinese. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Salted chili chicken, satay sauce, half rice, half gravy chip. Not yeah. that, not that I know. That's not a Nigel dish hand. anyway. <laughs> no Nigel. We'd be raging. Nigel be on the McPheasant nuggets <laughs> on a, of a Saturday afternoon. And I suppose you've achieved a lot to date, and congrats for that. But what's something that you haven't achieved yet, but you'd love to achieve? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think uh, for me, it's like I feel like what we are kind of sense of humor and our style of humor here has been forgotten or is, is overlooked quite a bit in, or to, in terms of UK and the world stage almost. Um, and I think like, you know, so you look at comedians like um, Kevin Bridges, um, Billy Conley, the strong, you know, Glasgow accents yeah. uh, and it lends itself to comedy and people love that accent a lot and I think we have that and we're always being voted as like you know the sexiest accent and whatever yeah. else and I think just y y people associating that with comedy is starting to come around hopefully and I would like to be for me is to be one of the the comedians that I love growing up watching who would be on TV and panel shows and things like that and I would like to be a bit more, you know, do what would do what I do, but be able to do it to a larger kind of um, a larger audience. And there's things that I'm working on TV wise that will hopefully do that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and it is just that thing. It almost feel like sort of, you know, representing a wee bit, uh, yeah. you know, representing Northern Ireland a bit and going, I want us, not just me, but, but I want not. I want everybody to be able to take what we do here. Um, and sort of not into their hearts but you know what I mean like to be able to the, the accent has, has been a barrier in the past yeah. I feel and I feel now things are starting to change like with things like Derry Girls and even like Blue Lights um, I don't oh. know if you've watched that's been Watch brilliant it's class. and um, I just think people are starting to see you know sort of Northern Ireland even from down south you know there's very little crossover between up here and down south like mm -hmm. I nobody knows me down south you know mm -hmm. like I do really tiny venues down there when I go on tour um, so it just would want it sort of us to be able to join in a bit more and be able to and be a bit more proud of who we are in the way we sign I think we cr kind of cringe at our own accents <laughs> and all that a wee bit and you know I, I feel like the time's coming where it's going to be um, it's less of a barrier and hopefully be you know um, actually like a, a sort of a positive and a selling point you know the way the people like I say go oh, I love the I love the you know Mickey Flanagan's Cockney accent or I love the the Glaswegian accent yeah. I think we can we can sort of have that as well about us yeah because it's funny we've uh, we've a client in, in the program social media is a powerful place and his name's Philippe mm -hmm. and he lives in Estonia but he's originally from France okay so he's kind of like you know got this French accent and somehow he's able to they understand me which is great but that's a prime example of the, it, the accent no longer being a barrier yeah. but I actually thought when we had our first zoom call it was going to be a barrier and I was speaking really slow and he was like no Johnny like my English is good yeah, yeah in his yeah. French accent but yeah um that's it, it just shows yeah. you that there's, there's opportunity there and we always ask this question on every single podcast to every single guest and everyone has a different perspective so mm -hmm. what does unstoppable mean to you or becoming unstoppable. Becoming unstoppable. Um, sort of like the building momentum in something, and I feel like it, maybe it's not a positive thing, but whenever you start on a career or something, and you're doing something, and that becomes your drive and your passion, all of a sudden everything kind of gets geared towards that in your life, and it, it's it's sort of unstoppable mm -hmm. then, and it's like. Yeah. I think when you acknowledge that, like for me, realizing that comedy is the, the main thing in my life and could be the, the main thing, um, you can be unstoppable at that by, you know, sort of focusing on it and playing, yeah. playing into it and kind of going with it and going with that momentum, but, but knowing, you know, the direction that you want to go in. Yeah. Um, and I think that not everybody has to, you know, settle in and go, oh, this is exactly, you know, what I want to do for the rest of my life and that's that. You know, be, be, you'll know when you sort of hit on that vein of something that you want to do. Um, and that, that's for me unstoppable has been starting comedy genuinely didn't think it was going to be a career and it's kind of been unstoppable because you know it's it's snowballed and kept going um, but I wouldn't change it I love doing it and it's something you know it feels very organic and it's that old saying of you know if you do what you love you'll never for a living you'll never work a day in yeah. your life or whatever it is 
I butchered that saying anyway. No, nobody's going to be putting that up above their <laughs> above their sofa beside live laugh love. What was it, Patty said? No. Um, but yeah, I just feel like for for me, it's comedy going on and doing, starting a career in comedy is being unstoppable. Yeah, love it, so good. And where can people find you? Do you have any upcoming shows that that you can that we can go? Yeah, to we're kind of tentatively putting a tour together for possibly the end of this year. The thing is, is 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 trying to find venues that are available. Um, so like going back to the SSE. It's, if I want to do the SSE again, it can't be until like, yeah. I think it's the the next Saturday date, you want Saturdays and Fridays, yeah. are like way next year. And I don't want to do that. I want to get out sooner, you yes. know. So um, I might, might do a wee tour at the end of this year, but that's dependent on some TV things. So we're just kind of, you know, nothing madly, you know, you're not going to at the minute. You're not going to do a Peter K and sell tickets for 2026 or something. <laughs> <right>? No, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I, was I, I was at I was at so I was at the first Peter K night um, in the SSA, and I know the guard from doing so many gigs in there, and, and yes. also you're through my sister as well, who kind of is like the the chief person there. Uh-huh. She, you know, she organizes the place. So I saw her the first night of the Peter K, and she says there will be people who will turn up. Uh, who have tickets for August, say 2026, they will turn up in August 2023 on that date. So say it's like the 25th of August, 2026. They will turn up on the 25th of August, 2023, and there'll be nothing on, and they'll know, you're here for Peter K, that's in three years' time. (laughs) And there'll be people in 2024 who will turn up, like, and like, Peter K, yeah, no, it's not, you know, like, there's yeah. people will t- and they never check the tickets, just see the date. And she says, like, so we're we just know we're gonna have these like stragglers turning up. Uh, there's a Giants game on. They're like, <laughs> what? When? When he's covering the ice? When's Peter? I like, you know, was like, right. you're, you're three years early. Yeah, no, absolutely class. And and once again, check out Patty and socials, and make sure you go to the shows. Now you've listened to this podcast, you've had a laugh. Get to the shows and. Once again, mate, thank you very much. It's been a a pleasure and I'm looking forward to the next one. I'll catch you on the next episode.